we have been um, in this one anothering series now for a couple of weeks, and I'm hoping that you're getting the idea that um, all of these one another's, all 100 one another's in the New Testament, of those, 47 of them are directly directed to us in the church in how we interact with each other. And there are four major themes that we've discovered, love, unity, encouragement, and humility. And uh, what we said, though, from the very beginning is that the Christian faith is an action faith. So it's like... Just saying that I have love doesn't do anybody else any good. It's when you are loving that helps people, right? And then last week we talked about unity and that we need to be unifying this relationship that we have. Because here's the, here's the thing, right? So, so the reason why I'm so big on this action faith thing is that learning the Bible is great and information about God is great and understanding him more is a beautiful thing and to go deep in your relationship is wonderful. But here's the thing. We may not need more information as much as we do application. Here's where I'm going with that. So, we put all this information in our head, right? So we, we learn and we come to church and we go to community groups and we, and we watch videos and we listen to songs and we get emotional and all of this kind of stays up in our head. And so we think that because we have all this information and we have felt the way that we feel, it's all up in here, that we're spiritual, that we're good Christians because I'm thinking this way. It's all up in my head. I love what Charlie said in our Wednesday night class. One of his friends said, I may not be much, but I'm all I ever think about. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's like, I may not be much, but that's, I'm all I ever think about. That's how we get with our spiritual life. It's like we get it all up here, and so we think that I know all this information, so I'm a good Christian, I'm a good follower of Christ, but here's the truth. What you do says more about who you are than what you know. And there's like the whole, that, the whole thing flips right there because it's not about what you know, but I want you to know stuff, okay? It's about what you do with what you know. That makes the difference. Because all that information that we have in our head convinces us that we're good Christians. And so then what we think is, well, I just need to have a, you know, I need to learn more. I need to do, I need to, I need to do more study or I need to listen to more music or watch more videos or read more books. And I'm all for that. I'm all about just improving that and increasing your level of information. But I'm really interested in what you do with it. So then you develop this thought a little bit further and you realize that Christianity is lived out through our relationships. So if Christianity is lived out through our relationships, then that means that all of this stuff that I'm learning is supposed to be put to use in the relationships that I enjoy as we interact with each other. Like husbands to wives and wives to husbands and kids to parents and parents to kids. And let me just, let me just kind of say this, all right? Does your wife think you're a good Christian? Does your husband think that you're a good 
follower of Jesus? Like, do your kids admire you, your walk with the Lord? Not because of what you know, but because of the effect that it has on the life that you're living. Do you see, see, how, see how much that hurt right there? Right? I felt that tension. And you know why? Because that's where it's all at. I mean, it's not about learning more stuff. It's about putting it to practice. So, so in this one anothering series, how well are we loving? Not do you have 1 Corinthians 13 memorized. Are we unifying? Are we reconnecting relationships? Are we humbling ourselves? Here's the truth about humility, and this is why if I had to do this all over again, I probably would have started with this one. Because I think humility improves relationships. And I really believe that humility is where it begins in a lot of ways. Because humility creates this sense of we-ness, like, like we're in this together. What should our spirit and attitude towards each other be? What does it look like to live humbly in a marriage relationship? But this humility that we should be displaying, this humbling of ourselves will help relationships. Humility is where spiritual relationship begins. Look what Jesus said in Matthew, right? Not to give a lot of background, just for lack of time, but he's, he's talking about kids here. And he says this, he says, except you be converted, that means to turn, right? So unless you're turned around here and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So look at humility this way. In our relationships, humility is the foundation by which we build good relationships upon. So the, so the, so the, the taller the relationship, the wider the foundation needs to be of humility. Humility is where it all begins. It's what healthy relationships are built upon. That's why this is such an incredibly important one another. 15% of all the one another's have to do with humbling yourself, preferring another. That's, what, that's, what, that's why this is so important. And God saw that humility in our relationships was so important. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And in Romans chapter 12, the whole chapter deals with relationships. The first two verses talk about our relationship with the Lord and kind of sets that standard. And then verses 3 through 8 talk about our relationship in and amongst church members, using our giftings, using who we are to help other people. And then verses 9 through 21 in, in, in Romans chapter 12 talk about just how we interact with people in general. So all of Romans 12 is about relationships. So let's jump into here. We're going to look at what are some characteristics? What are some traits? What does a humble person look like? Let's see what Paul says to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this. He said, I beseech you, therefore, that means I beg. I beg you, therefore, 
brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, now we always, the fourth word there, I beseech you, therefore. Now, remember, anytime we see a therefore, we got to ask what the therefore is there for. Right? So, so Paul wrote something before he wrote this that he's referring back to. So, Let's go look at what he wrote before he wrote that. Now, remember, too, that when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, it didn't have chapters and verses. We put addresses to everything just so we could find it. Right? It used to be just one big letter, one big scroll. And so we put, like, a divider between the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12 for our own convenience, but it was all one continuous thought. So let's kind of backpedal a little bit. I put up some verses here for you. This is the end of chapter 11. This kind of is, is Paul's segue into what we now know as chapter 12. He says this, Oh, the depths of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God! Exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past beyond finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? All these rhetorical questions are like, think about the God that you love and serve. And then he says this as an incredibly sobering reminder in verse 36. He says, for of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to him be glory forever amen so there's the setting all right incredible god everything you have is because of god and that shows me the first characteristic of a humble person is that they are in awe of god a humble person is blown away by how incredible god is That's where it all begins. If you can't see the honor and majesty and greatness of God, then you're not humble. And if you can't see that of him and through him and for him are all things, you're not truly humble. So humbling begins, I believe, with recognizing and acknowledging this incredible God that we serve in awe of God. Humility begins when we place ourselves under, as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 tells us, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Andrew Murray said this. He said, that's the place of entire dependence upon God. I wouldn't be able to get up. I wouldn't be able to function. I wouldn't have my job. I wouldn't have my life. I wouldn't be able to breathe. I would have nothing were it not for God Almighty. That's humbling. That's appropriate humility. And God, I don't want to lose that in my life. And I want to acknowledge that you are the reason everything exists. And why I exist. Humility is more about seeing God for who he is than trying to see yourself for who you are. Humbling happens when we see all that God has done for us. So now that we know what the therefore was there for, 
Let's reread verse 1 in chapter 12. I I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When we seek God for who he is in chapter 11, it leads us to chapter 1 and verse 12 to where like, yeah, God, you can have me. I mean, if, if everything came from you and I owe you it all, then it just makes sense for me to give myself to you. And this is King James here where, where he says reasonable service. I don't know what your Bible says, but, but reasonable service, reasonable there is the word logikos in the Greek that our New Testament was originally written in. And you can see what word we get from that, right? Logical. Like it just makes sense. Like once you read those four verses in chapter 11, it just makes sense that then you would present your body to this incredible God. So that's the second characteristic of a humble person is they are given to God. Like first of all, they are like in awe of God. And then because of that, they are given to God. This God-centered mindset causes them to just give themselves to the Lord. So then Paul continues in verse 2. He says this, and so, so, so now so you've, you've given yourself to him, so now he kind of pushes the envelope a little bit and takes us a little bit deeper, okay? Here, we're, we're, we're going to start wading in now. We dipped our toe in. And now we're going we're gonna to wade in a little bit deeper. And he says this in verse 2. All right, let's take it further. And be not conformed. That word means to pattern yourself after. To this world. But, or instead of, in contrast to, be transformed. And that word is the word metamorpho. Where we get metamorphosis. Caterpillar, butterfly. All right, so you are changing yourself around. By how? The renewing of your mind. That, that word renewing is like the word renovation. Flip. Right? Fixer upper. Like we're going to tear out all the crappy carpet and put in hardwoods. Like we're going we're gonna to get rid of the 1960s cabinets. We're going to put in beautiful new. That's what I'm talking about. Like, like completely renovating your mind. That's how this happens. So you're going to change the way you think and the way that you act. And then he says this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's the third characteristic, I believe, of somebody who is humble. First of all, they're in awe of God. Then they give themselves to God. And then they are becoming. They are becoming. I love like, like, like the, the motto of our church is discovering life in Jesus through community. Just think about that. Discovering. That means we're still figuring it out. Right? We're discovering life in Jesus. Because every day I learn something new. We are becoming. Humility never gets to the place where like I got this figured out. And by the way, if that's you, you're not helping anybody. But humble people are a work in progress, and they know it. They are always working on becoming who they need to be. It's a God-centered mind, mindset. So, so the end of, verse, of chapter 11, and then verses 1 and 2, kind of give us what, 
humbleness looks like, what humility looks like, how we are supposed to be humbling ourselves. And then he jumps into verse 3 and begins to prepare us, like, what do we do with all of this? It says this, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly, I love this, than he ought to think. So don't overestimate yourself. That's what he's saying. Duh, yeah. Okay, so like, like I, I do real estate, right? So, so we all do this when the appraiser comes out, right? But some of my least favorite conversations are when, when I show up at a house to list a property. And they've already done their research on Zillow, right? And they feel like their house value is this. They've overestimated their house. They still think it's 2006, We tend to do the same thing, like we overestimate how important we are. So he's saying, don't over-evaluate yourself. And then he goes on to say this. He said, then you ought to think, but to think, and this is the King James word, but soberly. He's saying, don't get carried away. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. But this is what I want to show you. This is what really got me excited. So what he's saying is that there is a level of value to you. On the one hand, you have pride. So, so here's, here is your estimated value to humankind, okay? Pride has an overestimation of their value, okay? And Paul says, here's your value. I don't want you to get on this side of it and overestimate how valuable you think you might be. Don't get carried away. Don't give yourself too much credit. But on the other hand, he said, I don't want you to undervalue who you are in Christ either. I don't want you to self-degrade yourself. By the way, this is still all about self. Right? It's like if you're over here and you think you're something, that's all about you. When you're over here, And you're fishing for compliments, and you're self-degrading, that's still all about self. He's saying somewhere in here, there is a value that you have that's appropriate. That's where I want to live. That is humility. Humility is not saying, I am nothing. And, and, and humility is certainly not saying, I got it all figured out. Humility is thinking appropriately about who you are and what your value is. Because what's interesting is, when he, so he launches from verse 3 here, and he talks about the giftings that we have been given for the benefit of the church and understand that there's value there. I tried to find out who said this. I found this quote, and I couldn't find out who said it, but he said this. He said, humility is not denying the power you have, but admitting that the power comes through you and not from you. That's that's appropriate value. Disproportionate value would be thinking that I'm all that, and I have all these giftings, and I can really help you. Disproportionate value would be, I'm nothing. I can't do anything right. 
I'm no good to anybody. Nobody would ever want to use me. That's insulting your creator. Appropriate value is, I got a few things going on, but it's because of God. And I want God to use this for his honor and glory. Here's what's encouraging. We can think rightly about ourselves, and that's okay. But we just have to keep in mind where we received everything we have. I love what, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4. He said this. He said, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That puts things in perspective. Like, why are you boasting about everything that you are and have when you know that you're the one that received it, you didn't initiate it? You've been given much. Acknowledge it, own it, and use it. And then the rest of Romans 12 just teaches us how to use what we have been given for the benefit of each other. Whether it be in the body of Christ, verses 3 through 8, or just mankind in general, verses 9 through 21. Humility is not weak. Humility is not timid. And humility is not wimpy. Right? Jesus was like the ultimate example of humility, and he was none of those things. Instead, I think humility is healthy and helpful and strong. I think humility should be strong enough to lift up a friend and share a burden. Okay, you can use your strength like a bully. The bully imagines himself to be the hero because he's simply stronger than everybody else. But nobody likes the bully. No one is impressed with the bully's strength. Or you can use your strength to help the underdog and protect the weak and to care for others. He's the hero. Not because he touts his strength, but that he uses his strength to help others. That's humility. That's an appropriate amount of humility. Please understand, I have not been able to find a quippy little definition for humility. I looked at all the bumper stickers I could. Nobody has bumper stickers about humility. Have you noticed that? But I was trying to find like this really cool little one-liner definition of humility. There just isn't anything like that. It's too big. It's too important. Use the strength that you've been given and have an appropriate appreciation for who you are as a person. And that you have this power that comes from God and it comes through you to help other people. That's appropriate. Humility is huge. So what I did come up with as far as a definition is maybe some acknowledgments. And not all of this is original. I did a lot of reading. Did some, some stuff from John Piper's mixed in here. Just because I was so into where is this coming from and, and what does it need to look like because I know that humility is not just about, you know, self-deprecation and, 
you know, I'm nothing and I'm of no value and I knew it wasn't this over here. So let me just share with you three what I would call acknowledgments to help define what humility needs to look like for you and I. The first one is this, and that is that God is the source of everything we have, that he is in charge and that he deserves all the credit. That's a good place to start. That God is a source, but Eric, you don't understand. I worked hard for my paycheck. Like none of us do, okay? Really? That's life. Welcome to humanity. Sure, you might have worked harder, you got the raise, or you got the promotion. But break your leg and see what happens. How about get laid up in the hospital for a month and see what happens to your security at work? And I don't wish that upon you. I'm just saying let's acknowledge the fact that if God didn't give you health, right, you wouldn't be where you are in life. There's so much we owe to God. He gets, he's the source, he's in charge, and he gets the credit. That is a humbling thing. C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not thinking Oh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So there's a word missing there. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Shut up. You'll get old one day. You know, what's funny is that I just now noticed there was a word missing, and I've already preached that message today. That just really crushed my whole point there. I'm humbled. By that mistake. So we have this acknowledgement that God is the source, he's in charge, and he gets the credit. The second acknowledgement I think that's important is this, that Christ came into this world to save me because I was helplessly lost in my sin and I'm completely dependent upon him. I know you're good people. But if you don't come to that place in life when you acknowledge the fact that if it were not for Jesus Christ, you'd have no relationship with God, then we really need to have a conversation. There There is something about saying this, like Jesus came for me because of my sin. That's humbling. John Flavel said this, he said, they that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. How true is that? And then the third acknowledgement is this, that true greatness in the kingdom of God seeks to serve others, not to be served. So you're using, you're using your abilities, your giftings, all God has given you to serve others. As you're driving in your car, God, you gave me this car. You get the credit. You can take it away. You can let me keep it. You, you are the one responsible for this. I need to use this. I need to use this somehow. What about, what about the, your giftings? Maybe you're a good speaker. Maybe you're a good singer. Maybe you're good at making deals. Maybe you're a peacemaker. What is your giftings? How can God use What you have been given, what you have received to help other people. 
True greatness in the kingdom of God seeks to serve others, not to be served. Use what you have been given to benefit others. The Christian faith is an action faith. So could I encourage you? Do something with this. Use this to benefit your relationship with God by creating an appropriate amount of value. Not false humility, not self-degradation, not compliment fishing, and not pride, but an appropriate acknowledgement that I have been given some giftings and I have been given a lot of my life and I'm responsible to use that for the kingdom of God and the benefit of other people. Do something with this. One another with it. Humble yourself so you see yourself appropriately. Become who you need to be so that you can serve well. Let's pray. God, I really, I really feel this is a big subject. And I believe it's such an important part of our life as followers of you. And help us to reposition ourselves into a healthy relationship with you and others. Help us to place ourselves in the center of where we need to be, right in the middle of where our value is. And help us to be humbling ourselves to help the most people in Jesus' name. Amen.